Hi, Kanina. Hi, Emma. How you doing? I'm all right. How are you doing? Not bad. I feel like we haven't done a History and Sexy for ages. Yeah, I think it's been a while. And I think we also might be off kilter now in the release schedule, but that's okay because we just do this for free. <laughs> so. uh, yeah. I don't know. I've lost track. I've, I've lost track. Everything in my life is confusing these days. And then we recorded the other one really early. We did. Yeah. But now we're back. We've got some more history questions to answer. Yeah, um, um, which um, is what we do. Answer the yeah. history questions. Answer the history questions other people can't be bothered to research. Yeah. We are like expert Google. Yes. But more fun. Yeah. And in your ears, I guess. Google uh, can probably be in your ears too if you want it to. But I imagine it's, it's like a robot voice. Yeah, it's like the Google Assistant voice that's never helpful. Yeah. Yeah, no, we're always helpful and well, also delightful. We are delightful. Well, you're not. You're not. I'm, I'm both, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> yes, that's what we do. I'm possibly sounding weird today because I'm in the middle of moving house and my entire office got moved. So I'm scrunched over in my living room and I don't have my little pop filter because I couldn't. Be, I don't have anything to attach it to and I couldn't be bothered to hold it up. <laughs> that's the most reasonable thing in the world yeah. i've got my microphone on my knees yeah yeah so sorry if i sound weird sorry yeah, if your if plosives I... aren't clean enough yeah i hope if you'll forgive me hopefully by the next one i will have so i don't have anything here in this house anymore except the internet <laughs> 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 and the internet moves over next week uh, so by the time we get to the the next episode will hopefully be in the new house. I also seem to have packed my good headphones. So I've now got, I've got noise cancelling earbuds in instead of normal headphones. And all I can hear is my own voice echoing in my head. Oh no. <laughs> Just making me really self-conscious. That's the worst. <laughs> so if I suddenly become like really odd sounding, then I apologise. But I suspect it is me just becoming distracted by the sound of my own voice echoing <laughs> inside my ears. But... Janina, what questions are we answering this week? Because we've got two. Oh, we do have two. That's why we did different research, because I didn't notice the second one. <laughs> Good job. Did you just wonder what the fuck I was doing <laughs> when well, no, I said what I, I had been researching? Well, um, I still thought that was relevant and interesting. <laughs> just like a... You're like, what an interesting way of approaching that question. Yeah, just give some background and some concise <laughs> stuff. Content. So the first question is from Adam Soros on Twitter. He asks, inspired by films like The Favourite and Mary Queen of Scots, can I ask which royal figures of history were actually queer slash LGBT? And you can tell exactly when this question came. (laughs) And so the other one, which came slightly earlier, um, but it is impossible to answer that first question without answering this one as well, is have the gender binary system and the heterosexuality always been the norm or did they develop to be perceived this way? So you can't answer one really without answering the other. So we thought yeah. we might as well, so, do well them. see, that's why I thought that your research was apt because you can't. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> this is something that I think about all the time, like when I'm walking to and from work or when I'm in the shower or like when I am just pooling about. It's something that for like the past year, year and a half, I would say, has been like just on my mind a lot and mm-hmm. I read a lot about it and I think a lot about it about like social constructivism of sexuality and gender and theoretical ways of looking at it and theoretical ways of experiencing it and how 
what is an ethical and appropriate and useful way of looking at sexuality and sexual identity and sexual behavior and gender identity and gender presentation in the past Mm. and i think that they might be impossible questions yeah Um, and like we've talked about this a little bit before yeah about the difference between views about sex in general before we had the sort of individualistic culture that we have now yeah and and we talked about it when we talked about women dressing up as men to go to war yes we did and we talked about james barry who isn't a person that I think about a lot when I'm thinking about these things. Um, But yeah, so I think that the answer is that there's no right answer necessarily because every single person, and I do read a lot about this, there are about, there are an infinite number of ways of looking at it and a lot of different people have very intense feelings about their particular way of looking at it. And it's like you have to do credit because obviously... For LGBT people today, it's very, very important both for their own sense of identity and for activism reasons to be able to point to representation in history because there are yeah. still people who are idiots and say that LGBT-ness is a modern construct, which is obviously bullshit, but we need mm, to be able depends. to... Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> but like, I mean, no, I don't mean... When I say it's obviously bullshit, I don't mean the labels. I don't mean how we define it. I think it is obviously uh, bullshit that it's only recently that people became attracted to people of the same sex or uh, began to experience gender dysphoria or any of... It has always existed. Yes. Well, the myriad of ways in which people experience love and sex and their bodies and the world has always existed. There's never been one way. Yeah. It's the way people talk about it that changes. Yes. Which also changes the way people understand it. And then that changes the way people enact it. Yeah. But before we get bogged down in the theory stuff, because I will go on about it for anything up to 500 years. (laughs) And I will sit here and meander on in a possibly quite unentertaining way uh, (laughs) for hours and hours and hours. We'll answer the first question first. Yeah. And talk about, so the two that Adam brings up are the favourite, which is about Queen Anne <laughs> and Mary, Queen of Scots. Now, full disclosure, not seen the Mary, Queen of I Scots I have also film. not seen Mary, Queen of Scots, but I did see the favourite. When I saw it, I went, I went to see it when I was in New Zealand over Christmas. And, and as the credits rolled, a woman a couple of rolls behind us turned to the group of people that she had presumably persuaded to see the film and said, I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> wow I know clearly like expecting some sort of nice normal period drama um, was maybe. expecting less yeah. awkward mm. awkward mm. very funny uh, I found it very very funny yeah I went and saw it with my friend Seanine and both of our partners and um, while we were going in I saw one of my favorite customers from work mm-hmm which was delightful, but we were kind of having a chat as we were in the line about, oh, you know, really looking forward to seeing it, like to see his films, blah, blah, blah. And then the ticket taker thought that we were together, so that was awkward. And then obviously the film was what it was and has, like, quite a lot of activity in it. And I'm like, both of us were like, no idea how the other person is going to take this. <laughs> and so the next time we saw each other, we were like, so, do you enjoy it? Enjoy the favourite? And the only time that we have ever seen each other apart from that one time, is when he comes into work to buy books. Mm-hmm. So the only time we ever talk, apart from literally that one time, is when people, when he is purchasing books from me. 
So, yeah, so that was fun. So we had to be like, so that was, did you enjoy it? Anyway, See, I thought it was great. Loved it. I loved it. I really just flat out enjoy Yorgos Lanthimos films. I have, I think, I don't know how many I've seen, but all the ones I've seen, I've just, and just base level enjoyed. And apparently that says a lot about me, which I don't. Yeah, because I felt the same about The Lobster. I just I just fundamentally enjoyed it. I thought it was yeah. a fun film. Um, I think they're fundamentally enjoyable. I think so. But apparently it's a weird thing to think. And you're mm. meant to be, you know, I don't know, confused and intrigued by them more than you're meant to just think they're quite funny. Mm, I think people are boring. <laughs> but, yeah, no, had a good time with The Favourite. In that... So for, the, for people are... who haven't seen The Favourite, it's... Yeah. Um, a very, I mean, it is an odd film. An odd He's film. an odd filmmaker. Uh, but it tells the story of Queen Anne and her two crucial friendships with Sarah Churchill, Duchess of Marlborough, Marlborough and Abigail Masham, who kind of supplants Sarah as the favourite in Anne's court. Mm-hmm. And it is great, but very, very, like, within that part of the, part of the reason that Anne starts to prefer Abigail to Sarah is because she has an affair with her. She's having sex with both of them, but yeah. It's not so clear that, like, it's. I think it's a little more... Um, no, because she definitely pulls Sarah onto her wheelchair and then... She does, yes. They are definitely engaged in some sexy times. <laughs> it's just... It's not quite as yeah. explicit as with Abigail. Yeah, but, yeah, so they are definitely... She's definitely having a sexual relationship with... Both Abigail and Sarah Churchill, and all three of them are fantastic and a well-deserved Oscar win. Such a good film. From what I gather, in Mary, Queen of Scots, it has Lord Darnley, evil Lord Darnley, boo hiss, Mm -hmm. in bed with Mary's secretary. David Rizzio. Um, Yes, that's what Wikipedia says. I haven't seen Mary, Queen of Scots. Yeah. Which I've not seen it because I became irritated at the fact that Mary and Elizabeth met in a barn, yeah. and that I was so furious at that in the in the trailer. <laughs> That's very similar to why, like, I won't see um, I won't see the Cursed Child because it breaks the rules of time travel as established in the Prisoner of Azkaban. It is also, and I want to make this very clear, the worst fan fiction I've ever read. <laughs> And it was written by J.K. Rowling. I'm not yeah. sure how it's possible to write terrible fan fiction of your own property. And yet she did. But, Here we so are. Not right. <laughs> but, yeah, so, so yeah, so those are the two incidences of sex. And both of those, so certainly the Queen Anne stories circulated at the time. So Queen Anne was had no children she had multiple miscarriages she had a grumpy husband who just stayed in his own kingdom most of the time yeah he wasn't very interested in anything to do with England he kind of just happily yeah meandered about and she was very very close with Sarah Churchill who was her friend um, and kind of personal secretary and then did they had some kind of massive screaming falling out and Queen Anne switched allegiance to Abigail, at which point Sarah released all of their letters to each other, which was quite fun. (laughs) (laughs) And some of them are quite juicy, to be honest. 
Essentially, the letters that say, um, like, I wish I could stop writing to you, but I can't. I am, um, here we go. If I could tell how to hinder myself from writing to you every day, I would, but I cannot. For when I am with you, I cannot be at ease without inquiring after you. I hope I shall get a moment or two to be with you, my dear, that I have may, may have one embrace for which I long for more than I can express. I can't go to bed without seeing you. If you knew in what condition you have made me, I am sure you would pity me. Etc. Et it's very, I wish I knew how to quit you. It's very, I wish I knew how to quit you. It's very passionate. It's very emotional. It's very much the kind of thing that I would have written to a teenage boyfriend. <laughs> when my sister was on the internet so I couldn't use the phone it's very kind of like you can totally hear it in Olivia Coleman's slightly whiny voice when she's doing Queen Anne yeah like it's quite needy <laughs> but it is very passionate and it does read as very very sexual and there is this real like tripping point because the other one I'm gonna skip over Mary Queen of Scots briefly because the other big one that always comes up in this stuff whenever people are talking about yeah. like who is LGBT in the past is James, James the Sixth, yeah, um, slash James the First, yeah. James the Sixth of Scotland, who was also James the First of England because yeah. sure, cool, leading to my favourite way son to of Mary Queen of Scots. Yes, the son of Mary <laughs> Queen of Scots. My my favourite way to annoy the Scottish if I'm feeling drunk like I was at a certain wedding <laughs> was is to say well as it happens. Your king became our king, so really, didn't you invade us? <laughs> Which is wildly historically inaccurate, but very, very funny. <laughs> and they don't really know how to answer it yeah. uh, because it's a stupid thing to say, and therefore I always win. <laughs> I don't recommend it, but it is quite fun. Um, anyway, James the Sixth slash First was notoriously a big fan of men. Yeah. He had several favourites. His first favourite, slightly dodgily, was a 37-year-old man when he was 13. Oof. Where you're a bit like, like there's so much power, yeah. so many power dynamics going on here where one of you is in his four, like late 30s and one of you is 13, but one of you is the king and the yeah. other one isn't. Like, <laughs> very I confusing. I don't think being king cancels out being a child. It's very weird. Anyway, it didn't last very long. And then... The next one, time, one who was a guy called Robert Carr, who was an athlete that he got very involved with and who apparently had very good hair. Sure. And then he met George Villiers, who he loved more than anyone and was extremely open about how much he loved more than anyone and was happily say things like, I love the Earl of Buckingham more than anyone else. Yeah. And more than everyone else here assembled. Yeah. And well, a tunnel between the bedrooms. Yes, so that they could go backwards and forwards. And he didn't in any way try to hide it. Gave yeah. him loads of stuff, told everybody, thought it was great, said, Christ has his John and I have my George. Mm. You're like, fair enough then. And lots of people wrote poems about them, like the French, when they wanted to take the piss out of the English slash Scottish. Mm -hmm. So a French poet wrote... Apollo with his songs debauched young Hysanthius, and it is well known that the King of England fucks the Duke of Buckingham. <laughs> That is poetry. That really it is, poetry. is true poetry. It doesn't need to be good if it's funny, I suppose. <laughs> um, but yeah, so so that here's another one. And the the final one, although less known, is um, Edward the Second, the son of Edward the First, the rubbish son of Edward the First, and he had an uncontrollable love for a man called Piers Galveston, who he apparently fell instantly in love with at first sight, and then insisted upon entering a bond of unbreakable love which some have suggested might be some kind of weird ceremony or might just be that they had sex. It's impossible to it's know. It's impossible to know. 
Now he is the one who in Braveheart his his sexuality is is given as the reason why um the princess of France his wife played by Sophia Marceau uh, is actually pregnant with Mel Gibson's child and not his which is obviously oh, f- completely false and impossible because they never met but full disclosure that's the thing never seen Braveheart well you can't watch it now obviously but it does kind of slap <laughs> probably never gonna to be yeah, honest no. I'm alright I am glad no. that I saw it before all of the things went down back in the 90s when Mel Gibson was still alright because uh, it problem does kind is... of slap but also I mean Mel uh, William Wallace never met her no. at all he happened before she came along so the same problem yeah. with Mary Queen of Scots and Queen Elizabeth meeting in Mary Queen of Scots to be honest yeah, no, the problem with Braveheart is that I never really saw it. And then um, what I did see in the 90s was a program that was on at a very strange time of 12.30 on a Sunday called This Morning with Richard and Not Judy with Stuart <laughs> Lee and Richard Herring, mm-hmm. which was a very strange program and one of my favourites ever. But one of the things that they did was extra final scene where they would do an extra final scene to films. And the Braveheart one that they did had, I think, Stuart Lee as the Mel Gibson character kind of like lying back. And then he goes, this film is at worst historically inaccurate, uh, at best historically inaccurate, at worst morally reprehensible. Um, <laughs> and then kind of lists off everything that's wrong with it. Yeah, And Which is a that lot. was my only experience of <laughs> Braveheart. So it was ruined for me out of the gate, really. Yeah, it is a terrible, like it's... A- terribly terribly historically inaccurate but thanks to Braveheart I will never be able to see Edward Longshanks as anything but like the worst and most horrible villain (laughs) oh dear I know Uh, that must make listening to Ali from Rex Factor's love of well it was a while before I clocked that Edward the first was Edward Longshanks because I oh okay and but once I did I was like but Ali he's so evil um, <laughs> but he built so many castles. <laughs> he built so many castles, but he did it evilly, obviously. Yeah, it's, obviously. It's anyway, that's right. off the beside the point. It is. Yeah, Edward the Second, Edward the First, rubbish son, um, supposedly, or you know, had this thing with whoever the hell Piers Galveston was. Piers Galveston then gave him so much stuff because he loved him so much that uh, some other nobles assassinated him almost immediately. Yeah, this is yeah. a this is a, a thing that happens. You have too passionate an affair with someone you give them too many things and other people at court don't like it yeah it's a recurring theme of all history yeah awkward the same it's a thing that monarchs particularly british monarchs tend to do they tend to absolutely shower whoever it is that they like in stuff and honors and they make everybody else jealous and if they just kind of didn't like if they just reined it in a little bit then quite often the favorite would survive everything (laughs) would be fine and they'd be able to have lots more sex yeah but they just can't help themselves. The thing with all of this <laughs> is that, and it's one of the problems that I'm sure we'll discuss more in the um, second question, but despite the fact that there were a lot of people who were openly, well, open with who they were fucking, I don't want to put labels hmm. on people who didn't They were openly in relationships with people of the same sex. But that was also a really common rumour to spread about someone in order to discredit yeah. them, which might have been what was going on with... Queen Anne really because in reality the rumours about her and Abigail came from Sarah who read a bawdy poem that was actually like was like wig propaganda against the Queen that implied yeah. that the Queen was basically fucking Abigail Marsham 
and that's that's I think what the root of was did she have lesbian tendency starts from uh, which is her bitter discarded former friend like yeah. essentially reading a poem against her well she did also have the letters she did also have the letters and um, the letters are pretty pretty sexy pretty sexy yeah. but well, then again I pretty sexy, is I mean that needy, also but... part of how platonic relationships have changed and codified and become harsher like had have harsher oh, lines see. drawn around them now, this is the great $64,000 question. I know, because we did used to be a lot more comfortable with intimacy between people of the same gender in both and platonic and romantic ways. And the kind of, and reading all things as like, I love, or reading all I love yous between people of the same sex as sexual mm-hmm. is potentially anachronistic, but equally reading all I love yous and embraces as Gal pals. <laughs> yeah, it's also problematic. <laughs> it's also very amazing. Yeah. And, like, definitely there were people fucking people of the same sex in the past and probably writing letters to each other and falling yeah. in love with one another. Um, so this is, this is the whole issue. So this is the real crux of the issue, which is that what we have is some words and some behaviours and what we have, what we can do with that is try to interpret it. Yeah. And it is the interpretation of that which becomes then very difficult because you don't want to sexualize all things, but at the same time, you don't want to erase relationships. Yeah. But what you have to say is, like, at the barest minimum, what you've got, say, between James and George, is you have an incredibly affectionate, incredibly close, almost certainly, but very loving relationship between the two of them that was probably sexual. Yeah. Or at least everybody believed that it was sexual. The interpretation then of that is more challenging. What you have between Anne and Sarah is some letters that were exposed after they fell out. Yeah. Where a rumour of same-sex attraction and same-sex relationship could be potentially damaging, but equally doesn't mean it's not true do you see what i mean like it can be as damaging if it's true or false um that doesn't mean they didn't bang yeah but equally it doesn't mean they did bang um and there's no real answer to that interpretation question no and there is an infinite so i I fell into a real rabbit hole of reading about terminology and the ways that different people use terminology to to describe the past because it is a we're kind of tiptoeing around it like saying someone in the past was gay or is gay or was lesbian or was something else is really it feels wrong it's shaky yeah because it's not something that they would it's like certainly not terminology that they would have used no so if you pulled them into the future you'd have to give them like a three-hour lecture on current understandings of sexuality and gender (laughs) and then ask them to go away and reflect on themselves and go through that whole process you'd have to give them tumblr for a while for like a long anything up to time. six months. Have to give them Tumblr like, and but I'm a cheerleader and just leave them alone with their thoughts for like a long time. And then be like, going how you know, how do you feel? And then hope that they don't come back having found out about tulpas because nobody needs to know about that. <laughs> do you know what a tulpa is? I don't. I'm not gonna tell you, I'm gonna let you Google it later on. <gasps> oh, uh, no. <laughs> they are people who believe that they can manifest a voice in their head and make it into a real person, basically. Oh. Uh, and they believe that the Tolpa, which is a character that they create in their head, is a completely real person. Oh, no. It's very, very odd. But, 
yeah, so we just have to hope they don't end up over mm. there. But what you end up with is behaviours that you can identify. And in the more modern, like, as far as I'm concerned, like both Anne and James VI are effectively modern people, that you can try not to interpret through the lenses that we have. And if you call them gay, then you feel massively anachronistic. Yeah. There are some people who are okay with feeling anachronistic who say that it's a useful lens and it's a useful kind of mode of analysis to identify that stuff. And but there are some people who are really against it. One of the reasons, like, like even that, even like historians now on those different sides of that argument about using, oh, yeah. using modern labels to talk about historical things, that's also an example of one of the other things that colours everything because mm. we don't have letters from everyone like we do no. with um queen anne or king james so we're often the evidence that we have for whether someone had same-sex attraction in some form or like a gender identity thing in some form is coming externally and as with all history that was written down by a person with a bias and with an agenda and in a certain context and yes it's important to remember that. And yeah, like I have a kind of, I, well, I hope is a clear example, but at least one research one on my part, which is Henry III of France, who was rumored during his lifetime to have relationships with his male favorites. But in the years since, historians have only really been able to pin down specific affairs with women. And they've never found hmm. a specific example of a man who he actually had an affair with that they can confirm. So and he had a lot of enemies. There was a religious turmoil in France at the time, and there were a lot of people trying to undermine him. Um, so the, there, there was a lot of speculation that those rumours were a deliberate attempt to yeah to undermine him in, during his own reign. Because that's a legit thing to do to undermine someone in, in you know, old-timey France, is imply that they're dissolute and a sexual deviant and can't be trusted to run a country. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Uh, particularly in medieval Europe when Or as I prefer to sodomy, call it, obviously, old-timey France. <laughs> old-timey France. Um, sodomy, which is a whole interesting thing in that sodomy, quote-unquote, doesn't in almost any text before about the 18th century doesn't necessarily mean what we mean by sodomy, mm-hmm. which is anal sex. It means any act, which is any sexual act, which is... is unholy. Um, results in the waste of seed. <laughs> oh, Sure. Oh, really? So non, any non-procreative sexual act. So you can't just do a quiet beach? You can't do a quiet beach. That would be sodomy. Mm. You can't do a quiet titty fuck. That's sodomy. Mm. Um, quick can't, hand job on the beach. Sodomy. No, sodomy. Like frotting on the bus. Sodomy. <laughs> All of, like, so, which is very interesting. Um, yeah. But also massively complicates what we're talking about because a lot of people want to see the word sodomy and sodomite. And it does refer to that, but it also refers to a whole load of other behaviours. The person who wrote about this, who kind of like defined what the history of sexuality is now and what how people talk about it and how people frame it is Foucault, who shaped everything that we talk about. Mm. Um, And people don't talk about him enough, I think, because he's French and people think he's difficult. Uh, (laughs) But he's great. But his basically his argument of the way that basically the 19th century changed everything is that what you had in the back in the past was behaviors yeah you had people behaved in certain ways and you could critique those behaviors and you could criticize those behaviors and you could describe those behaviors and you could and those behaviors could affect your life in some way so for example accusing releasing sexy letters by queen anne could 
be a, a, could be potentially damaging to her because it suggested that she was somehow deviant, but that didn't that suggested that her behaviors were untrustworthy. It didn't say anything necessarily about her right. or her identity. What happens is in Foucault's theory, and this is from his History of Sexuality, which is a great read. If you. Uh, for a given deserve, given value of great uh, <laughs> is that medical the rise of medical profession basically mm-hmm. so related to what we talked about previously with gynecology began to medicalize everything and began to also medicalize the psyche and medicalize thoughts mm. and began to create the concept of identity as being an essential thing yeah and when i say essential i mean like a thing that is a immutable part of you almost and that through the 19th century and the invention of homosexuality by doctors because doctors invented the term homosexuality to define a deviancy a medical deviancy Mm -hmm. it was invented by a guy called carolee maria burkett in 1869 and there was a quite a long argument about whether to use homosexual or homophile Uh, (laughs) yes and people who kind of tried to claim the term homosexual or tried to like fight against the idea of deviancy and the earliest people to kind of claim that claim really difficult to talk about claim homophile as an identity as a positive one but they wanted homophile as in lover rather than sexual because they didn't want their kind of victorian idea of sex as bad um, (laughs) to be attached to like inept really because victoria turns out Fucked. <laughs> of course you did. You never read, read how she wrote about Albert? Um, I didn't, I didn't find, this was a Rick Spector reveal for me. How much <laughs> she loved to fuck Prince Albert. Yeah. And there's a reason they had so many babies. So many babies. Too uh, many. She was quite needy too. Her diaries are whingy. Well, I think that if anyone wrote two and a half thousand words a day on their inner thoughts, we'd all come across as needy, to be honest. That's true. That's true. I've definitely... No one needs to read any thoughts that I've got about my life. No. But, yeah, so that's the Foucault theory, which is in the past you had behaviours and then 19th century medical institutions and medical practitioners basically invented homosexuality in order to medicalise and therefore label it as a deviant behavior Mm -hmm. so you could say this person is a homosexual rather than this person engages in these acts right and then that kind of runs away with itself essentially (laughs) and until you get to a, a point where individual identity is very important and I put something that I also read a lot about because of our friend Nelia, who has written about this stuff um, and has sent me in various directions on reading about it, is mm. um, certain areas of certain people pushing back against the essentialist identity, like I am X and I was born this way and I can't change it because they're like, well, maybe I just want to play. Maybe I just want to. Yeah. And maybe it also takes a while to figure out and you're much bigger than that. Yeah, maybe I can be whoever I want to be. Yeah. Which is an interesting kind of pushback against what we now have as a the political and and very important movement to say I am who I am, I can't help it, go fuck yourself if you want to stop me being who I am. Hmm. Which is, I don't know, I find the whole thing very interesting. (laughs) And the way that people talk about themselves. I wonder if this sort of thing is like a necessary societal stage. I, I remember um, here going to a talk by Sarah Perry, friend of the podcast. Friend of the podcast. About the 
impact that Victorian morals and the fact that people started to be imprisoned for homosexual acts, the impact that that had on relationships and that it put them under the microscope and they had to be very Mm -hmm. clearly defined in order to keep yourself safe and stop yourself being arrested, essentially. And that prior to that point, not only were people fucking who they wanted and no no one really minded and no one really talked about it. I mean, obviously, that's very, very broad and not accurate at all, but yeah. um, comparatively to during the Victorian era, yeah, uh, nothing was labelled, but people were basically doing, doing what they did. And then all of a sudden it became something you had to be very conscious of and very deliberate about and very aware of, and that's where we start to see the breakdown of particularly male intimate platonic friendships um, mm-hmm. because of that danger. And I wondered when, when I've wondered a lot, I've thought a lot since then, if there's this thing where perhaps to a certain extent, very limited, obviously, but to a certain extent in the past, before this individualistic society, labels weren't important because everyone did what they did and it was like just not spoken about. And now we've had to label it. And having got to that point, we have to validate it because that's what we did by labeling is it is that we invalidated lots of ways of being. We invalidated mm-hmm. people who were attracted to members of the same sex. And we invalidated trans folk and all of this stuff. And so now we have to look all of those things in the face and like revalidate them and accept them. But maybe the ideal is coming through that and going back to no- nothing needs a label. We don't need to talk about it. People are just people and it's bigger. But <laughs> having brought that out of out into the open, and that, that's far too much it, I don't mean that being an LGBT <laughs> being closeted at all. I mean, like, having given it a grammar and a language to talk about, it, eventually maybe we will stop needing to talk about it and it will just be known and accepted, you know? Yeah, that everyone can just be who they want to be. Yeah. Yeah, well, I would hope so that's where we're aiming. I think the It'll thing nice. with the past is that when we're talking pre-industrial revolution, you are talking bigger families when the family is the... I mean, again, this is extremely broad strokes. The family is the key. And the thing with all of the people that we're talking about right now, like James and Anne particularly, is that they both had same-sex husbands' wives. And they mm-hmm. both had, well, poor old Anne never managed to have any living children, but she had but 17 she has, pregnancies. Yeah. She did her goddamn best to have she them. And, <laughs> and James did too. And it was kind of, it was, what you did in the bedroom was your business as long as you were doing what you had to do. And if either of those two people, if we picked them up right now and brought them into the modern world and gave them Tumblr and some queer theory to read for a while and then um, went, all right, how are you feeling right now? If either of those two people were like, you know what, I identify as fully gay or identify as fully lesbian, I never wanted to to do, to have sex with a person of the opposite sex. I never wanted to do that. Then you're kind of... The past is a time when as long as you did your duty, Mm-mm. particularly for royals, because I yeah. always feel like it's important to say that the royal family is an outlier and doesn't represent the f- average people in any way, shape or form. Absolutely. And if one if there's one thing that Rex Baxter makes clear, it's what happens when there's a when there is a succession crisis, which is a big <laughs> which is always old yeah. mess. And they have them so often. Um, you really need a clear if you're gonna do a monarchy, which don't, but if you are, you really need to have ears up the wazoo to make sure it all goes yeah. okay. You do. But then if you have too many, then they one kill might each kill other. the other one. Yeah. Like, or they, you know, or like Richard the Lionheart might get too strong and try to rise up against you with his mother. Yeah. Um, 
like your three powerful sons might suddenly decide they don't like you anymore. They might. You know, and it's, that will it's lead a lose, to a lose. very good play, but it won't be worth it. <laughs> it's a real lose lose, to be honest, being a monarch. It is. Um, it sucks. Like you have a lot of duty. And also everybody stares at you regardless of what you're doing yeah. and then writes a rude poem about you. Everyone uh, is you at one time mistresses. fawning all over you and trying to control you. Yeah. No uh, good. If you don't have mistresses and people write a poem about you, if you have too many mistresses and people write a poem about you, if you've got one mistress and also a boy whose house you've built a tunnel to, then everybody writes a poem about you. There's just no getting around any of it. If your favourite's male, then everyone's writes a poem about you. If your favourite's female, everyone writes a poem about you. It's fucking lo- Can't win. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the point being that uh, being a monarch is very different to being really anybody else at all. Yes. And it is there's far more scrutiny, but also far more leeway. I did find some quite interesting stories that I had not had before from because I don't really outside of Rex Factor, I don't really pay that much attention to the world of British monarchs. Mm. But I did find the odd one that I had had, one of which was Arabella Hunt who was in the court of Queen Mary II and was a tutor of Queen Anne. And she married uh, James Howard Mm -hmm. and they lived together for six months, at which point James, I mean, presumably after six months, they decided that they would go to bed together, (laughs) at which point Arabella discovered that James was assigned female at birth and had been christened Amy Poulter, Mm -hmm. but had been presenting as male, had courted Arabella as a male, and had previously been married to a man called Arthur Poulter. And she was, Arabella was horrified and felt betrayed, mm-hmm. <laughs> unaware that, that this is what had happened and exposed James and had her um, investigated by court doctors because they wanted to check whether she was what they called at the time double gendered, which we would now call intersex. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they discovered that she was not. She was, quote unquote, perfectly female in form. And so she was kind of turfed out of court. But she, or he, or they, however they defined, I'm going to assume that they would define as a he. Yeah, that seems... In much the same way as I do with James Barry, in that they show absolutely no sign of wanting to be defined as a woman. Yeah, Yeah. but apparently entered court and had a high-profile life and was able to happily pass and live as male until such time as maybe overstepped a little bit by trying to have sex with a woman pretending a little not pretending, bit of an but without letting her know that she had been that he had been assigned female at birth is a yes. little bit maybe have that conversation before yeah i feel like go down the black adder route and take your top off before you kiss <laughs> yeah i frame all things from all periods through black <laughs> although i think i think we talked about this one uh, on the women dressing as men versus trans men episode. Um, there was a case of someone assigned female at birth getting married as a man and um, mm-hmm. managing to keep that deception up once yeah. he was married by use of darkness and dildo, basically. Yeah, I remember that one. Yeah. I feel like we should just go back to Mary, Queen of Scots for a second because we didn't actually talk about okay. the real situation we there. You didn't. Um, um, you're gonna have to tell me about it so the film was based on a history book called queen of scots the true story of mary stewart by a guy called john guy he has claimed there was a sexual relation between there was a sexual relationship between lord darnley and david rizzio i don't know what his sources are and i can't find any other account of it and i don't know i don't know his sources there were definitely rumors that mary had an affair with rizzio and darnley definitely had rizzio murdered as part of his 
season power plot that he was big on at the time. Ooh, yes. Yeah. This is a very messy bit of history. There are lots of rumours and lots of plots to steal power because a woman was in charge and no one likes to take that line down. Also, she was a Catholic. She was a Catholic like and that there one was a... And practically m- French. Yeah, yeah. She was very Catholic, very French, and there was she this had was nothing going for Reformation it. in Sc- Protestant Scotland. Protestant Scotland, and this is not that long after Mary the First was burning Protestants in the streets. Mm-hmm. And this is not that long before they decide to just fully skip over a person yeah. in the line of succession because of his Catholicism. They're just like, no. But um, there were rumours that David Rizzio was the father of James the Sixth of Scotland and first of England who she was mm. pregnant with at the time. So Darnley had him stabbed basically in front of her. I like Rizzio as a name. It sounds like the kind of man who would have an affair with a husband and wife at the same time. It does, doesn't it? Rizzio. Yeah. You can imagine him, I'm imagining him coming in like Lord Flashheart. Mm. Rizzio. Yeah, works. So yeah, don't know, don't know about whether or not those <laughs> John two. Guy is, to my knowledge, generally well respected. He's a... Uh, written a lot of books about the Tudors, but he's one of those guys where everything has to be a re-evaluation. Right. Uh, rewriting. Sure. Everything you know about X is wrong, guys. Right, sure, absolutely. So you thought that he had an affair with her, but actually he had an affair with him kind of tracks. Yeah, that would make sense. I've not, don't know enough about the Tudors, you know, to know whether we can trust him. See, I never know whether, like, oh, is he, I only know about Roman historians because I know who Roman historians are like. Mm-hmm. Ugh him <laughs> and like tart and call him a history writer or whether he's somebody that other Tudor historians are like oh yeah he's all right yeah uh, <laughs> like he's fine yeah so if anyone out there is a Tudor historian and knows whether we trust John Guy <laughs> yeah that's or nice. whether we call him a history writer and go Ugh. I don't know it's made <laughs> wait a history writer as opposed to historian yeah, right. Because they don't do history as in they don't like critique the past or analyze it or right like use any you know frames of analysis or anything to consider and think about the past they just describe it sure so they just write down the sources in different words sure all right thanks guys (laughs) appreciate it (laughs) it's excellent it's very salty i like it yeah there you go there's an insight into how historian whatsapp groups bitch about people that make more money than us (laughs) um i did pull some stories of possibly possibly to probably yes you found ones from different places which I I like I did do that so the first one I've got from outside of England is another one that comes up on Tumblr a lot it's Emperor I of the Han Dynasty he ruled for six years just at the end of of BCE 7 BCE to 1 BCE apparently not great not, is he not like the Chinese version of the of James the Sex? Like he's the one that comes up on Tumblr with people writing. Uh, yeah, because there's a gay. really beautiful illustration of the story uh, that comes uh-huh. around on Tumblr every so often. So it was uh, basically it was also very similar to James the First slash Six in that he had just this favorite at court who was a minor official. He was really low ranking, and uh, this guy called Dong Jian and Emperor I just threw. Honours all over his face at a wild rate. He moved his him and his wife into the palace. He made his sister a consort, his father a marquis. He made him commander of the armed forces, which meant he was one of the most empow- powerful officials at court. And mm-hmm. he was real mean to everyone who objected to anything he did, including forcing his prime minister to commit suicide for objecting to the uh, nice things that he was giving 
dong over and over again. Uh, but the Goodness story me. about them that goes around is that one time after they'd been having a wee nap together, the emperor had to get up, but dong was lying on his sleeve, his the silk sleeve <laughs> of his of his jacket. And he didn't want to, he loved him so much that he decided not to disturb him and instead cut off the sleeve so he'd get up to go to whatever. <laughs> so We've all been there. Yeah, there's this famous, beautiful, romantic moment of from Chinese history. Oh. Yeah, of this apparently emperor who saw a massive rise in corruption during his reign. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, was very sure. nice to his boyfriend, so that's nice. I mean, um, that might, they might have been related. It yeah. seems like he was allowing his boyfriend to do whatever he liked. I know. And um, there's another one that also led to a term called, I think, a bitten peach became a euphemism for homosexuality in China because of this, uh, the story of Duke Ling of Wei, who was a state, the leader of a state in around 500 BCE, who, mm-hmm. uh, according to philosopher Hang Fei, who was writing a couple of hundred years afterwards, claimed that Ling had had an affair with a courtier called Mitzi Zia, who basically was given the run of the place, could take the, the Duke's carriage whenever he wanted and supposedly had won Ling's heart by he was eating a peach and he let Ling have the, the, the rest of it, like gave him the second half of the peach and oh, they right. fell in love over that, which is very, um, it's like a have... slightly cleaner version of Call Me By Your Name, I guess. It is, but also it feels like he gave me his peach, so I love him. Yeah, but... He will give anything to me. Yeah, <laughs> but after... His looks had faded. The Duke turned against him and was suddenly like, you stole my carriage and why did you give me your dirty old half-eaten peach? Oh. Um, I know. Spun it right oh. the other way. Unbelievable. It feels like... All right. It feels like what we've got here is that either almost every almost every person, monarch, who had a same-sex relationship in the past just allowed their boyfriend slash girlfriend to do whatever the fuck they liked yep. with their stuff and gave them loads of honours and, and annoyed usually everybody got around them, them murdered for it or it seems like whenever somebody got a load of stuff they were accused of banging to get it yeah <laughs> it's very challenging history's really hard sometimes and i think that this is possibly top two three hardest questions about the past yeah yeah like i think that the LGBT plus slash queer histories. Although I read a thing, so I read a very good article, which I'll put in the notes, which was four different scholars of different queer histories in the past talking about their approach and how they feel about the use of terminology and stuff. Mm -hmm. All of whom had completely different approaches. Um, But one of them who was talking about Bolivia and saying, here we go. So it's Eleanor McGrath talking about how queer women in Bolivia and anarcho-feminist collectives really hate the term queer because they consider it to be colonising part of the global north and a way of erasing their specific struggles and their Mm -hmm. specific experiences of same-sex attraction and same-sex love and same-sex relationships in a world that does not see, that is not as individualist or is not the same as Mm -hmm. the global north and the basically the anglophone west they prefer specific term of marica maricon Mm -hmm. which would be translated as slurs into english but they prefer them because they say that it describes better how they experience exclusion and Mm -hmm. politics in their context yeah 
And I thought that was really interesting um, in the way that we can think that that we can be accidentally colonizing in the way that we use terms. Completely. And I think that it's important to remember when you talk about history, if you look at how strongly people feel currently about terms, like there are still, there's still a lot of debate about the term queer, even amongst Western communities. And they're like, like, it's something that I think is being worked through very painfully on an individual level and on a community-wide level in lots of different areas. And if you look at how complex that is and how important it, a discussion it is and how personal it is, just to figure out what we should do right now, then you have to multiply that when you look at what we should do when we talk about people who are not here to advocate for themselves. Mm-hmm. Like it is, it's a big, it's a big, Beefy topic. See what it is, Janina. Said people are really hard. People are really, really hard, and they're a lot more complicated than anything. They're so complicated, and they contain multitudes. Yeah, and there is. It's really hard to describe those multitudes or talk about those multitudes because sometimes people fuck it up really badly. Yeah, there have been two things while I've been thinking about this this week that have been going around history Twitter, mm-hmm. which is my favorite Twitter, mm-hmm. which is um that. There is a tomb called the Lovers of Medina, which is a tomb which is very famous of uh, two skeletons holding hands. Mm-hmm. And they come from northern Italy and they are kind of late Roman and they're very famous. And they've always been perceived to be obviously a man and a woman. And then for reasons unknown, somebody DNA typed them and discovered that they were both had like male chromosomes. Mm-hmm. And therefore, because apparently we can only think of things through the lens of DNA and chromosomes, they are both male. Mm-hmm. And so the this is from the Guardian article, but it comes from, it's um, basically describing what the Italian researchers said about it. Researchers now believe that two might have been siblings, cousins or soldiers who died together in battle. <gasps> Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're like, wow, okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there are approximately 4,000 other interpretations of these two skeletons holding hands. Everything, like just so many different ways that this could, like the reality could have played out. Yeah. From a gay couple to one or both of them being non male presenting to all kinds of things. But you just have to erase all of them into, they're probably brothers. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah. And the the other one is, and we've talked about this before as well, but it's been going around again and I got some new sources, which I'm going to put in because they're really fun, which is that that Viking warrior grave. Oh, yeah. That got DNA'd um, and everybody discovered that they were female. And it's been going around again. Yeah. And has awoken a few people from their slumber because it goes around every few years, mm-hmm. uh, which is that this kind of idealized Viking warrior grave that was believed for oh, a really long time because it was full of obviously weapons. be a male Viking warrior grave. They did DNA and discovered that she was female. Mm-hmm. And every, the racists and misogynists of this world got up in arms about it. But there are like, again, four bazillion different ways to interpret it. And the fact that 20th and 21st century archaeologists can apparently only identify weapons with masculinity (laughs) is just one of those ways that completely erases like the multitude of other things that i mean the the thing is you would just have to accept with history that we know very little we can (laughs) speculate all we want but we have to acknowledge that really all we've got is a tiny tiny little bit of evidence so if we're talking about like this issue I feel like the most we can ever say is 
there's reasonable evidence that these t- th- that these guys fucked. <laughs> yeah, probably. That's that. I don't know. Maybe I hope <laughs> they did. Maybe they may not. Hopefully everyone was banging. But they very they very may well. Hopefully everybody was was banging all the time. I hope everyone was getting laid good and often. <laughs> yeah, basically. That's that's basically my my plan. Yeah, everyone was banging whoever they wanted to bang. Yeah, well, they probably weren't because even today everybody doesn't get to bang who they want to bang. That's true. Um, and it, you know people are shitty about stuff. Yeah, because life is complicated and hard, and things are messy. Things are messy. Yeah. Welcome to history. History is what do we call this? History is sexy. No, complicated. Yeah, That's complicated. it. It's usually complicated. Sexy and also much more complicated. Than that. <laughs> do you think that answered the question? That I think so. Basically, quite a lot of people in the past were identified by other people, primarily as being LGBT in some way, um, or engaging in LGBT behaviors in some way, because this was before. It was an yeah. identity thing. Or engaging in behaviours. And um, the whole thing about, we haven't kind of talked about gender binary as much because that's even harder, but heterosexuality. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm just, if we start on it, then we'll be here for the next six months. Yeah. It's- but the concept of, to be honest, as a behaviour, heterosexuality in the West has pretty much been the norm. It, particularly when it comes to create, because the family has as a procreative force. Yeah. I mean, there has always been the most important thing. Exceptions is Philippe, first of Orléans, who was the young brother of the Sun King. He openly cross-dressed. He attended parties as a shepherdess. Good for him. So he had pretty dresses. That may have been because he was a cross-dresser. It may have been because he was a trans woman. Maybe. Or would have it identified as that if he were alive now and had the grammar to do that. But we don't Maybe. know. And it, Maybe yeah. he just like dresses. There's Maybe no he way just like dresses. Dresses are fun. Yeah. But behavior wise, and it's certainly in terms of sanctioned behavior. Yeah. Like as in from culturally sanctioned, ideal, this is what you should be doing. And we are going to eyeball and write rude poems about anybody who deviates. Is that you, even those who may, who engaged in, homosexual behaviors and had relationships with people like that is undeniable they even they had heterosexual relationships too because mm. they really have choice in that matter yeah gotta gotta have an ear in terms of the development the development is seeing it as an immutable or somehow like once again i don't know if you've seen this but there's a, maybe two weeks ago there was a big thing with a yet another looking for the gay gene study mm. that was in nature mm. like another massive one like and that is a very 21st century thing like we map the genome we must be able to find this one thing as if it has to be one thing rather than a whole combination yeah. of things and is it and as if everything about being human is just a is gene in your dna like oh the 21st century yeah people will look back on us once we pass the inevitable water wars <laughs> And laugh upon us. Yes, they will. But yeah, so hopefully that, I don't know, may possibly it's just made everybody confused, vaguely annoyed. I feel like if it's made everyone confused and a bit frightened and we've answered the question at Hewlett. We've done right, yeah. That's how you should feel. You should feel like you're tiptoeing across an abyss of infinite answers, all of which are right and also wrong. Hopefully that's how we make you feel every time. (laughs) Because I feel like (laughs) that's that's history. That's what studying history is. Yeah, it's good. Um, 
So a few people have asked this question, uh, so I'm just going to do this now. So a few people have asked about Boudicca because the Horrible Histories film came out. Yes, with Kate Nash, which is excellent casting. It was, and I had a great time. I watched it. And um, Kim Cattrall is Agrippina the Younger, Nero's mum. Oh, incredible. Um, and she is amazing. She's so good. I was like... That was perfect in... casting as well. Man, I haven't seen I haven't seen the film. I just think that I love Kate Nash. Uh, yeah, and she's, she's great. great great choice of Boudicca in my opinion and but he just Kim Cattrall did Agrippina so well and obviously I don't think that anybody really like feels the way that I do about Agrippina because they don't nobody else in the world talks about her as much as I do <laughs> but she she's just so perfect she was just so odd and very very funny yeah a plus Amazing. <laughs> But because I think because of that, I assume so. I've had a few couple of people ask question about like, is everything we know about Boudicca real? Where do we come from? But as it happens, I recorded a few months ago a podcast with Greg Jenner, who wrote the Horrible Histories film, and Sarah Pascoe. It's very which good. Is, you should all listen very... to it if you haven't already. So it's called You're Dead to Me. Um, it's on the BBC, but you can find it where all good podcasts are found, I guess. It's on, but um, it's the first episode, and it will answer basically all about Boudicca. But they let me do a nuance window at the end, where I basically was like, everything you know about Boudicca is not real. Some <laughs> <laughs> uh, short answer, no. But they, they let me talk for about forty minutes about all like what the sources say about Boudicca, basically, mm. and then when also it's nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> um, and hopefully pulled the rug out underneath everybody and left them feeling destabilized and frightened of history. Yeah, yeah. But you have to listen to that podcast in order to find out why that's not real. <laughs> But it was good fun. I recommend it. And I've been listening to some of the other episodes and they're also good. Greg, Greg Jenner's a good egg. Yeah, I listened to the Blackbeard one because pirates are always, always fun. And as it happens, that's what we're doing next time. Ooh, is it? We finally got to the question that we've been waiting for yes. for ages. We've been looking forward to so much, which comes from Sasha Sienna. And she sent us this through our Kofi page. So thank you also for that. That was very kind of you because she also gave, sent us some money. And she said, I'd love to know. Did pirates really invent communism? Oh, I can't wait to talk about pirates. Me I should either. go back and play some Assassin's Creed Black Flag in, in research. That's definitely research. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so that's going to be our next question. Yeah. Which, to be honest, feels like possibly a slightly less scary question. but I feel like it's mostly fun. Yeah. I don't know. We might get tanky showing us. But, yeah. But- after you've listened to, if you want, if you can't wait that long to hear about pirates, after you've listened to Emma's Boudicca episode, listen to the Blackbeard one. I learnt for the first time what the difference is between a pirate and a privateer. Oh, I look forward to finding that out. Yeah. I listened to the Spartans episode and I listened to the Harriet Tubman episode and they're both very good. So, yeah, I'm looking forward. It's a good podcast. But, but if you want to know the answer to the Boudicca question, then go find You're Dead to Me. And which is a great title for a podcast. It's a very good title for a podcast. But if you want to ask us a question, because we will answer your questions, then you can find us on the Twitter at, at sexyhistorypod. Or you can email us at sexyhistorypod at gmail.com. Or you can, uh, like Sasha Sienna did, uh, send us some cash at uh, Kofi. And you can just go to that at kofi.com slash hispod or bit.ly slash support sexy history that's the that's all the places for us or you can get us individually i am on twitter at j9 and if and i am at nuclear teeth and oliver who's gonna have to edit out all of the bits where i said oh now i wrote that down and then scrolled up and down pages (laughs) (laughs) is at kiwa and 
He's going on holiday, which I'm very jealous of. So we might be, I think there's a chance we our sort of schedule brouhaha may continue because hopefully not. Oliver is on holiday and Emma is moving house. So we, I think we reserve the right to be a bit late. <laughs> True, but <laughs> hopefully my, my, I just need to be where my internet is and we're all okay. Yeah, but like, you know, if we're on time, that's great, but we may not be. And, and those <laughs> are the reasons for it. They're not bad reasons. No, they're fine. Yeah. Anyway, that'll do. Yeah. What else? Say nice things about us. That's about all I got. Yeah, that's all I've got. Yeah. Bye, Janina. Bye. Bye.